at 7 o'clock. There is a meeting of ourselves, Abundant Life and Snowball Church. We're going to meet for just over an hour to pray for the city. And it would be really good for loads of you to come. We're thinking about doing an evangelism event on Patrick's Day together where someone is sponsored, sending out fantastic, I've seen them, fantastic tracks right around Limerick. And we want to be a part of that. So 7 o'clock in Abundant Life, please think about coming. It would be great. Um, our small group will start in Juliana's house and Leandro's house at 8.30 rather than 8 for that. But 7 o'clock in Abundant Life. Also, as I was getting up here, I've been seeing these around. There's a bag of Matthew Henry's commentaries. Now, Matthew Henry's commentaries, it's quite an old commentary, but it's a commentary of the whole Bible. I often look up this commentary. Um, and if you would like, I think they've been left here for the church to have, but I thought if you're um, a young or old Bible student and you would like a set of Matthew Henry's Bible commentaries, that would be a great one on your shelf. In fact, it would look very impressive on your shelf if you're trying to... Um, oh, those are yours. Oh, they're gone. Oh, sorry, Jacob. I thought they were given to me to give away. <laughs> well, just at the nick of time. Don't leave anything around here. Um, I will give it away. Okay, let's look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. And we're thinking about Jesus and children. And Mark, did you get the slide? The slide. Okay, now, um, what I want to tell you is that what we have here is a challenge. A challenge to come to Jesus as we are. To come to Jesus with no sense of importance. That's how we come. We come as children. As one of our songs said, you know, I am a child of God, and we come as we are. I, 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 I wanted to say later on, in some ways, we come naked to God. No achievements matter. And one of the things that dishonors God is something that I did when I was first here. Because it dishonors God when we treat some people as if they're more special than other people. It dishonors God. And this guy here, who's I'm sure a very nice guy, if any one of you know him, he played for Munster. His name is Juan Dupree. And I have nothing but good things to say about him. But what, what happened was that 12 or 13 years ago, when I first came to this church, one Sunday morning, I'm standing where I like to stand, welcoming people in, and Juan Dupree turns up. And I didn't actually recognize him. And I said to him, so what brings you to Limerick? He says, I play because Munster rugby team. My jaw almost dropped. I, he sat up here at the front, and I fawned over him. In fact, I ran up to the study. I, I actually, I, I somewhat insulted him because I hadn't realized he was already playing for the Munster team. I didn't know. He was kind of on the fringes. I went up to the study, grabbed one of my famous Munster programs that I had. I said, you know, you could have this. I showed him. I fawned over him. But there was a problem. 
And the problem was this, that on that very day, we were going on our holidays. We were going to the new wine conference. And I didn't know you well enough to say, don't mess this up. I'm leaving you with his care. Don't mess this up. And you messed it up. Because when I came back, he had gone. He, he never turned up again, but I don't think it was you. It was me. I think it was the fact that I fawned over him and, and, you know, probably made him feel uncomfortable. But as funny as that is, the sad thing is it reveals something and something that is wrong in all of our hearts. We have a tendency to treat some people as more important than other people. And yet when you see Jesus welcomes children, he's welcoming the people in their culture that were considered the least important. And we come that way to Jesus. And we're never to forget that. It's a part of our growth. There's a book that's just come out, um, and it's entitled How Celebrity is Killing Christianity. You know, even amongst preachers and churches, we become obsessed with where's the in-church or who's the in-preacher. And it dishonors God. We come as children, which in that culture meant to come as a nobody. That's how we come, accepted by Jesus. I was reading that book that Micaeus and Noemi gave me on Tim Keller. One of the things that really impressed me about Tim Keller is that he was actually not someone who looked for celebrity. He was really actually quite uncomfortable with it. And I think it's the same for us. We should be glad to come. I'm going to say something coming strange, and, and I hope this isn't rude to say, but we come naked to God. We come naked to God as, as just as we are. And, and one of the things that we see when we look at Jesus relating to children is the challenge not to glow up. Don't glow up. As always, I have three points to my sermon. Why do people bring Jesus, children to Jesus? Why do disciples want to keep the children from Jesus? And how should we approach Jesus? So here we have a situation where you have, in verse 13, people bringing little children to Jesus to place his hands on them, to touch them. You know, isn't it so sad? I, it breaks my heart when I read this passage and to think that in our minds, the concept of children and touch has become something in our culture that's seen as unsafe. Isn't it tragic? And, and last week when we were talking about marriage, I said, if there is any chance that you're in a marriage that is not safe, you need to get out of there. And if the children were here, I would say the same thing. If someone touches you in a way they shouldn't, you should tell someone who can do something about it. And as, as a church, we want to, to have the very best safety for children. Of course, that would never even have entered Jesus' mind. He was the safest of all adults. You know, why did parents bring their little children to Jesus? Because he was safe. He was love. 
and he, they wanted him to bless their children. And in Mark's gospel, the theme of touch is a theme that runs right throughout the gospel, and it's a theme that tells us of a God who makes unclean people clean and broken people whole with his touch. And I had a friend up in Northern Ireland, and the thing about him was he had a lovely way of praying, but in every prayer meeting, and it was a lovely phrase, he would say, oh Lord, I pray for so-and-so that you would touch them, that they would know your touch. And that's what we want, isn't it? There are those moments where you're more aware of God's love. It's like Jesus touches you. You might remember that picture I gave a few weeks ago that the Puritans had. And the Puritans had this picture where they talked about God's love like a father walking with a child down a street. But every now and then, love would just well up in the father and he would pick the child up and hug that child. It wasn't that he loved the child anymore, but there were those moments where he just wanted the child to know how much he was loved. And we pray for that for ourselves, don't we? And we pray for that for our children. You know, I was thinking about this. And I felt convicted that I need to pray more for my three not-so-little children. And, and any parent in this room is thankful for people who pray for your children. And what do we want for them? More than anything else, that they would have the blessing of knowing God's love and loving God's Nothing is more important than that. And verse 16, he, he blesses them with his love. I, I even thought about that passage, and I don't know the answer to this, but I, as I, I thought about this passage, I thought, I wonder how that worked out in the rest of their life. You know, here were children touched by Jesus who blessed them. Surely that changed the whole rest of their lives. I wonder how. Did it mean they grew up to hear the gospel and respond, to be changed and be amongst the people after Pentecost that began to dwell within the Holy Spirit? And then the, th the big question is, why do disciples want to keep children from Jesus? I think it is because the disciples were incredibly status conscious. And in their culture, unlike in our culture, children were made nothing of. They were seen as an inconvenience, a bit like that old idea of to be seen but not heard, to be pushed out, not important. It's so different in our culture, you know, the babies here afterwards, everyone wants to hold them and coo over them and so on. Not in that culture. The children were seen as unimportant and they were the epitome of not mattering. And, and so here we have Jesus embracing children. And I think what the disciples are doing is they want to be a part of an impressive kingdom with an impressive king, a military leader, you know, the sort of guy who makes a difference out there. And here is their king, a gentle man with children on his lap. It's not the image they want. 
that's not their image of an impressive kingdom led by an impressive king. But it is our king. And our king shows us what God is like. I was talking to a counselor by the name of Colin Cooper. He's a great guy. He's a Baptist pastor. And I was saying that in my life, I've often struggled to believe in God's goodness. I don't know why. Sometimes, sometimes it, it can go back to someone where if the parent was harsh, they struggled to believe in God's goodness. But my, I have great parents. I don't know why. But Colin said to me, he said, you know, I have never struggled to believe God is good. And the reason I've never struggled to believe God is good, he said, is because of my dad. He said, my dad was a godly Christian man. I only ever once, he said, remember my dad getting angry with us. And it was when we came home from church one day and the preacher was awful and we were making fun of him. And my dad says, never talk about a preacher like that. I like that man already. <laughs> he also told me that the preacher really was awful. <laughs> I, I think about that for us as adults in this church. You know, I was talking to my mother yesterday and I don't know, I was thinking about this passage, although the sermon was long done, and I thought about how when I was in primary school, I was a bit of a pain in the neck. I probably had a touch of ADHD. I spent my time gazing out the window, and I drove the teachers nuts. And in that context, when I would go to school, I felt like I didn't belong. I felt like I wasn't accepted. I felt like just I could, I could feel the teacher's annoyance towards me. But the amazing thing is that when I went to church, it was different. When I went to church, I can think of adults who would affirm you, who would encourage you, who would speak kindly to you, who would take an interest in you. I know for my own kids, they love the fact that so many of you take an interest in them. And that's the environment that I want in our church. That kids can come here and they can see God in us. Because we will shape the way they view God. And if we're approachable, if we're kind, if we take an interest in them, a genuine interest in them, it shapes their perception of who God is. I got to go to a university... College Dublin, UCD, the Christian Union on Tuesday. I do this little mental health talk and I was asked to do it there. And afterwards I asked, if anyone wants to come and pray with me, please come to the back. And I was given the couch at the back. And I was struck by a couple of kids, what they said to me. They said that they were stressed because they sought their validation in their studies. Uh, actually, I, I was a bit dumb. I had to get them to explain that to me. But their sense of worth, their sense of who they are, came through their studies. And so the stress level went up. And I kind of wanted to say to them, but it might have been misunderstood, but that I felt like God was saying to them that he wants them to come to him naked. 
coming naked, not with, you know, my achievements, not with my grades, not with my talents, not with what people say about me, but just as a child, because that's the way he takes us. I also had uh, sort of this idea during the week, but I, I actually cut it out of my sermon, but I think I'm going to put it back in, because I'm not sure it's a great illustration. But it's almost like we go to God with our school reports, or our achievements, and we say to him, would you put this up in the fridge? To, to remind, and he says, no, I, I don't want to put that up in the fridge because I'm, I'm not really worried about your achievements. I'm worried about you. I love you, not your achievements. I don't want to boast about you. When I, when I go to other people, I want to boast about you and my love for you, but not what you achieved or how talented you are. And then it's like he says, look, here is my fridge. Do you see what's on it? Not your school reports, but pictures of you. We come to God naked. But there is another problem when we talk about coming to God naked, because in the Bible we also know that when we come to God naked, we come with our shame. We come with our guilt. But he covers that nakedness. Uh, I looked this up. Psalm 61, verse 10. Listen to this beautiful verse. You come to God naked. You have no achievements to bring. Stop trying to validate yourself by what you achieved. You come to God naked. But then the problem is when we come to God naked, we also have that discomfort within us of the things that we'd rather no one see, that, we, that we'd like to hide. And look what he says. I am overwhelmed with the, this is the psalmist, Isaiah, with joy in the Lord my God. For he dressed me in the clothes of salvation and draped me in the robes of righteousness. I'm like a, dried, a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. So you're scared to come to God naked. You feel like you need to bring him your CV, your resume. You want to point to your school reports, but you're scared at the same time that if I come to God naked, there will be the shame. And what does he do? He covers you with the most beautiful robe of his righteousness, and there's not a spot or blemish on you. And he loves you. And then finally, how do we come to God? How do we come to God? How do we come to God like a child? What does it mean? I thought about this, and I thought, I think it means three things. You know your need, you see his love, and you desire his blessing. You know your need, you see his love, you desire his blessing, you come to him as a child. In that day, children were considered insignificant. In fact, next week, we'll see the rich young ruler, and I'll try, Bruce, to keep the same title. I have been working on it. But the rich young ruler, and at the end of that passage, it says, many who are first will be last, and the last first. And I think he's just illustrated it by putting these two accounts of Jesus together. The last come to Jesus as children. 
They have nothing to offer him. They come naked to him, not boasting in anything. And they're first because they're accepted and they're even held up as an example of how to approach Jesus. And then someone in that culture who would have been first because he was male in a patriarchal society and he was wealthy in a society that saw that as a blessing goes away empty. Sad. The first will be last. The last will be first. Come as a child. Come knowing your needs, seeing his love, desiring his blessing. Can I tell you this morning, don't grow up. Don't grow up. Of course, there are some ways you need to grow up. We grow up in our knowledge of God. We grow up because children squabble, and when we're squabbling, we're being childish. But there's another sense in which we must never grow up. We must never see ourselves as anything other than naked before God, embraced in his robes of righteousness, delighted in his love. And the sad thing is, so often, we just take ourselves too seriously. Why do we get upset when someone offends us? Because we've become proud, because we've begun to see ourselves as something. We've begun to see ourselves as someone. But we come to God delighted to be no one the last who are embraced and who become first. And we've got to keep that attitude through our whole Christian life. I think we've got to laugh at ourselves a little bit more and got to take ourselves a little bit less seriously. I, I think it, it shows in, 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 you know, we just continuously need to go back and just remember, I am just a child of God, loved by a wonderful father. And then to finish, a couple of us have been working through this book, um, and I can't tell you who just at the moment, because she's going to be an illustration. Okay, but we were working through this book. It's a brilliant book, Dana Ortland, Deeper. I would love more people to read it. And there's a chapter in that book entitled Embrace. And it's about how we grow through receiving God's embrace. This is what he says. We grow no deeper than we enjoy his embrace of us. We, know, we grow no deeper than we enjoy his embrace of us. Lucas was praying. He says, you know, reveal your will to us. And I thought for this week, what I'd love you to think about is that his will for you is for you to feel loved by him. And to let that love change you. His will for you this week and every week is for you to feel loved by him. How do you feel loved by him? Keep looking at the cross. Keep looking at the person of Jesus. Keep thinking. I tried this week, looking at this passage, to think of myself as one of those children being put in the lap of Christ. That's who you are. Can we believe that? I often don't believe that. Can you believe that he delights over you and sings over you? And this is where that illustration comes, because as we were talking about that, that verse came up that 
in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Your God rejoices over you with singing. And you know what? One of the people that was leading that book started to weep. It just seemed too good to be true. And can we ask God, the Holy Spirit, this week to let us know that it is true? And what about, and this is where um, I've, I've actually two quotes, but I'm only going to give you, no, I'll give you both. What about those areas within you that you feel awkward before God? The areas where you feel, feel weak? The areas where you feel like you're always letting him down? Where you feel ashamed? And this is what he says. The thing that makes you wince the most only strengthens his delight in embracing you. At your point of deepest shame and regret, that's where God loves you the most. Do you believe that? Do you believe you're safe to come to God naked? And then he says this, we go no further than we enjoy his embrace of us. The love of Christ is his settled, unflappable heart of affection for sinners and for sufferers and for sinners and sufferers alone. He doesn't have to work himself up to love us because he is love. He doesn't have to work himself to love us because he is a gorged river of love, pent up, ready to gush forth upon the most timid request list. And I thought about that, the most timid request list. Even our desire for God's love is so weak. And yet through the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 3, that God might strengthen you through his spirit that you would know what Corrine was talking about. The height, the depth, the length, the width, which are immeasurable of God's love.